Hello, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and snowed in and frozen in, here we <laughs> sit, ready to tell you some more about what we've been reading. Snowy weather is the best weather for reading, though. We've been pretty productive. It's been a pretty good <laughs> couple weeks for us. The first thing that I read is Olive Again by Elizabeth Strout. Did, did you ever read anything by Elizabeth Strout? I don't think so. I thought I, I knew I saved the Burgess Boys for you for a long time, but I didn't think you read it. No, no I don't think I have. Okay. Olive Again is it's a sequel to Olive Kitteridge. If you have read that, it was um, a really big book several years ago. And it's both of those two books are basically a loose collection of short stories um, that they're, they're all centered on the character of Olive Kitteridge. Um, I read Olive Kitteridge. I, I thought it was fine. It's a beautifully written book, but I really didn't care very much about Olive again when it came out um, until I heard somebody say that they had kind of felt the same way about Olive Kitteridge. It was fine, but they loved Olive again. And so I picked this one up. I, you got it for me for Christmas. Yeah, and, and I did read a story out of this. So. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, and it was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, gorgeous. This, this was just a beautifully written book. Um, in this one, Olive is much older. Um, and I just, there's, there's definitely something about aging that mellows you and makes you see the world in a different way. And I really enjoyed seeing the world and the town through this Olive's eyes. So that was a, it was a very good book. Um, not a light book by any means, but a beautiful book. Then I read Dear Emmy Blue by Leah Lewis. Um, I couldn't find this one anywhere here. She's a British author. And so, again, this is one you gave me for Christmas, but I had looked for it for a lot of places for quite a while. Um, in this book, the main character releases a balloon um, at the end of her high school career with a message inside it. And it's found by a boy in France. I think they're both 16 years old. And um, inside it contains a secret about what she's going through. And um, he emails her and the two become very best friends. He helps her through, he and his family help her through really the worst times of her life. And this story picks up as they are adults and he's about to get married and what that kind of thing does to their relationship and how they both can become independent people. And it was, it made me laugh. It made me cry. It was just a perfect, hopeful, lovely book to read in the winter. Now that's always on at a premium <laughs> this time of year. Sure. Yes. Um, then I read That Sounds Fun by Annie F. Downs. I used to follow her Instagram and her podcast. You remember how much I used to talk about her? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, her podcast is called That Sounds Fun. And um, that's always been my favorite thing about Annie, the way that she always looks for the fun. And so um, I read this book, and it was not exactly what I expected because it, it the essays in it dealt a lot more with the way that we find fun even in the hard times of life. Um, but while it wasn't what I expected, I found it to be very useful and still just a really good book. Concrete Rose is up next by Angie Thomas. Who's one of your homies. You met Angie Thomas. Oh, I did. That's right. Yeah. At NCTE, I got a signed copy of The Hate You Give, right. which let me just say, if you have not read The Hate You Give, you probably should just stop whatever you're doing right now and go and read it. We read it. We recommended it to our pastor. Yeah, yeah. It's just... It's a game changer. It was a wonderful book. Um, Concrete Rose is a prequel to The Hate You Give, and it follows Star's father as a young man. 
Um, and who's what, one of the great characters that they hate you give oh anyway. Gosh, I he's mean, amazing. he's awesome. Yeah. He's hilarious and he's just real and strong and awesome. So it was really, really nice, really fun and really interesting to read about him as a young man to get another glimpse into um, what young black men deal with um, and the forces that are trying to shape them in this society. I just feel like Angie Thomas, she writes young adult literature, but all three of her books, The Hate You Give, On the Come Up, and Concrete Rose, I feel like have been really, really important books to start conversations about racial issues in America and to start, you know, changing the way we look at it and moving more strongly toward justice. She's a young star. I mean, these are, these are hard things to talk about, but obviously she brings you know, a wealth of experience and, and some very careful thought to it. And, and yeah, I've, I've only read The Hate You Give, but I may have to follow up on Concrete Rose. I was it just, sounds great. I was just thinking when I was considering what to say about it tonight, how much I really think that you would like this book, but that it's going to go back to the library before you <laughs> get it. So anyway. Okay. Um, the next book I read, I've read a lot of books. I had six for over these two weeks, which is pretty pretty good for me um this next one is called good apple tales of a southern evangelical in new york by elizabeth passarella i heard about this book from annie f jones annie annie jones i don't know if this is <laughs> enough in there i may be mixing her up with annie of death anyway annie jones the bookshelf in thomasville georgia um she interviewed the author of this book and it sounded amazing so this is Elizabeth Hazarella is a woman from Memphis who moved to New York, married a man there, and then they have kids together, and she considers herself a New Yorker. She is an essayist um, by trade. She's written for all kinds of publications. Um, Real Simple is the one that jumps to mind first. And so this is, this is what she says she likes to do, to write essays. She also mentioned how she's just not very private with her life. So she thought that it might be um, instructive and fun to write about how somebody who was a Southern evangelical from Memphis now lives in New York and considers herself a Democrat. She talks at great length about, um, about um, how that shift happens, about what she believes now and why those changes have happened. I really wanted to read this book because I love anything that's about New York, that's set in New York. And I read you one of the chapters that was just a really, really gorgeous description. Well, and, and that, that combo of Memphis and New York, you, <laughs> if you weren't crazy before, you probably would be now. So, My favorite thing about this book, I think, was where she talked about how one of the reasons that she thinks she'll always stay in New York is that she believes that New York City is what heaven is going to look like. It is just a little piece of everything, you know. Yeah. There, um, I, I could see now that I've been there, you know, five years ago, I would have been like, yeah. yeah. But, but I went there. It's yeah, very easy it. to hide out in your your Memphis safe place, yeah, but you get true. to see what what a, get a glimpse of what all the people that Christ loves look true. like in New York City. Yeah, if anywhere, right? Yeah. So that was um, a, a fun book as well. And then the last one is called The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. Um, I got this from Book of the Month Club. It's a romance. I read it pretty much all on Valentine's Day because it felt like you ought to read a romance on <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, it's open door romance, definitely. So if you're a little bit squeamish about love scenes, you probably don't want to pick it up. But um, it was just a very Valentine's Day kind of book. So that's what I read. Well, my... Uh 
my reading was a little bit all over the place. I read The Adventures of Tom Sawyer with our son. I had read Huck Finn with our older child, our daughter, um, and went to Tom Sawyer in the hopes it would be a little bit lighter. And it was. There's still some, some definite language things that you can't do anymore. I had to do a little on-the-fly censorship, uh, as I did frequently in Huck Finn. And there are parts of Tom Sawyer that kind of lag a little bit. They don't hold up real well. But at the same time, you know, giving the cat to painkiller is always going to be pretty fun. And, uh, you know, what What are the other... When he when he comes to his own funeral, you know, the, the, the hijinks that Tom gets into are kind of <laughs> eternal. And, and our son didn't seem to mind it too much. I mean, he's a, at the stage where everything is just okay anyway. If it's not like Captain Underpants slapstick kind of humor, it's very much just, it's fine. So. Know, he, he seems somewhat impressed with going to your own funeral. That <laughs> struck him as a gutsy thing to pull. But uh, anyway, I continued my presidential challenge, John Adams by David McCullough, now complete. What a wonderful biography. Good for you, um, by the way. Hey, you know, two, two down, uh, a large number to go. But, but uh, McCullough's book is, is a definitive biography. He obviously really did his homework. Uh, if, if there's something about John Adams we didn't get in this, we probably didn't need to know it anyway because he went through his voluminous correspondence with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, he did a good job just summarizing the people in the era, as I'm seeing now, because I'm already working on John Meacham's Thomas Jefferson book, which hopefully I'll be done with in two weeks. Obviously, there's some overlap there. Um, I read that one, the Thomas the Jefferson. Jefferson one. Yeah. yeah. You should read John Adams. It's outstanding. And credit again to the HBO series that came off of it, which <laughs> is wonderful. Uh, Bending Toward Justice. A book that I picked up, The Birmingham Church Bombing That Changed the Course of Civil Rights by former U.S. Senator Doug Jones. Uh, Jones prosecuted two of the men who were involved in the horrific murder of four little girls at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham by a bomb in 1964, I believe it is. Um, But Jones was able to bring kind of a historical perspective and then the legal perspective of trying to try these people uh, in the 2000s when they were old men uh, and and the trail should have been cold. But Jones, through some very careful work, uh, was able to dig through and find some people and find some leads and get some people convicted and in prison where, frankly, they belong and... Uh, it becomes a very triumphant story that culminates in Jones being elected senator from Alabama, although he's since been dethroned by a failed football coach. But uh, nice Alabama. Uh, yeah. Tommy Tuberville, he, he couldn't win games in the SEC, but uh, he's, he's in the Senate now. But anyway, I'll leave that Another there. story. Yeah. That book sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it really was. It was it was good to have the historical perspective combined with the legal and the more human perspective. Jones talked about his experiences with the families of these little girls uh, who obviously never grew up. And, and, you know, they were old by the time all of this came down and, and being in touch with them through this process mm-hmm. and them getting to see some justice and, and see that the world still remembered and still cared mm. about their daughters or sisters or, you know, what have you. So a very, very good read. Uh, Cut to the Chase by Alan Cutler <laughs> and my friend John Wang, on the other hand. Uh, 
Very different, other than being the book that broke your toe, possibly. <laughs> We've talked about that, stumbled over it in the, in the dark. Don't and get me started. At 450 pages, Alan, uh, Alan is a, was a media personality, TV, radio guy, and spent most of his career around Lexington. So if you're a Kentucky Wildcat fan or hater or, or just interested in any way, uh, Alan will have some good stories of Rick Pitino and Tubby Smith and John Calipari and Mark Stoops and all of that stuff. A, a lot of good stories. The book's divided into like 120-some chapters, so it's very much quick-hitting. Some of the chapters are only a page or two, uh, and Alan did a good job kind of knowing when to get in and get out and just share from his wealth of stories. So, again, if the, the topic interests you, you'll find something uh, there have to give a shout out to Tyler Zach. Tyler uh, is in the Gospel for Enneagram. That is his Twitter account where I discovered him. That's at Gospel for Graham, G-R-A-M. I think um, it's the same on Instagram. Too. Okay, probably is. I follow him there. So Tyler, we've talked about Enneagram at some length, and I encourage you again, if you're not familiar with Enneagram, to check it out. It is a much more comprehensive and useful sort of personality uh, test or typing mechanism than any that I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. I found it very instructive, particularly in, in matters of relationships and yes. in matters of faith. And that's where Tyler comes in. Uh, the book I read of Tyler's is called The Gospel for Peacemakers. What Tyler is doing, he's doing a devotional. It's a 40-day devotional in this case. I think that's the plan for all of them. But he's taking on all nine Enneagram types. And I was so excited about it. I was like, Tyler, can, can, I, can I see one of these? <laughs> and he's like, okay, what, what's your type? And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a five. And he's like, well, okay, you can see this because it's a book for nines. It's not four five. That's, that's the one he was working on. But what I can say is, even though that's not my number, uh, Tyler's got a great thing here. He chose uh, pieces of the Bible for each of those 40 days, which are very relevant to you know what I know about the, the type 9 and, and what they're about and what makes them tick and what causes them trouble. And then he has very good thought questions or even exercises. He'll say, okay... As a nine, you're going to struggle with feeling like your input doesn't really matter. So sit down and write sometimes when your input really has mattered. Things like that. I mean, just, just some very real-world stuff. Practical. Yeah, very much so. Uh, interesting stuff. Stuff that I think, hopefully, when, when I, I get to the one for, for number fives, <laughs> I'll identify with it even more. Uh, but encourage you to check out Tyler. And uh, it's a great thing he's got going. I just, I can't wait for all nine to be out there so everybody can enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. And then last and certainly not least, uh, a book you'd read a little while back and you've hooked me into it, Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. I'm so glad we're going to talk about this. Now, and, and this is a rare real life thing where we have talked about it before and one of our loyal army of listeners out there, Andy, had reached out and said, I'm intrigued. You guys are also very high on Marilyn Robinson stuff, and I've had some bad experiences there. So we're going to talk about this book, and then we're going to specifically talk about this in the context that Andy raises it. Because there are some ways where it's not dissimilar to some of the Robinson stuff, but I think also ultimately it's very different. Uh, and, and we'll kind of lay all that out. But first, let's you give a summary of it. So Jaber Crow, we meet him as a child, and we see basically his entire livelihood in the little town of Port William, 
Kentucky. He's gone from Port William at times, uh, but it centers around the town very much of Port William. Jaber Crow grows to a man. He becomes a barber. He is a barber. That is his vocation, among others. He, he does some other things, yeah. but, but it is as the barber that he becomes known in this little town and meets the people who influence the rest of the novel. We follow him really just through a life, through his development, through him growing into who he is and what he means to this town and what it means to him. And it's one of the most complete novels I can think of. It really, I told Julie when I finished, I love William Faulkner. He, he has a, a special spot for me because, of course, he is notorious for distilling the place that he wrote about in Oxford, Mississippi. He called it Yachnapatawpha County. Um, for distilling it into just an absolute crucible of all of the virtues and all of the problems of the world enveloped in this little town that he sort of made up, but also sort of just chronicled what was already there. In Kentucky, I didn't know that we had somebody like that. Um, for the older people, Jesse Stewart is a name that always comes up. My dad loves Jesse Stewart. Sure. I've, I've had other people I know, yeah. And, and he's good. Have you, have you read his books? A little bit, not yeah. a ton. I've read some. We are still of the age where Jesse Stewart was the one who was assigned in college for Kentucky yeah, reading. Yeah. And, yeah. And then I think kind of in our generation, we stumbled onto Silas House. Uh -huh. And I love Clay's Quilt oh, and The Cold Tattoo. The Cold Tattoo is my favorite. Yeah, his. yeah. They're, they're, they're wonderful novels. Uh, but in spite of the credentials of both of those, uh, who are phenomenal authors, I, I enjoyed both of their work and appreciate them both. I think Wendell Berry might have done for Kentucky what William Faulkner did in Mississippi. In uh, Jaber Crow, you've got <laughs> this little town becomes the world entire as the reader. Uh, and because he can show it in such loving and careful depth and detail, it, it really expands beyond its boundaries in the way that Faulkner does. I mean, Faulkner writes about Mississippi, but he writes about Mississippi so well that he writes about the whole world. And Wendell Berry really does the same thing. Very well Fort said. Fort William and Jaber Crow. Yes, that's incredibly true. So let, let's 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 dish on the difference here uh, with with Marilyn Robinson, who we both really like. But mm -hmm. but Andy said, you know, it's very wordy. It is incredibly internal. Maybe Nothing that's happens. the jumping off point. Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean that is very much Marilyn Robinson writes. Gilead is the one that he mentioned in particular. Mm -hmm. And Gilead is a book that really entirely takes place in somebody's head. The whole story is a letter he is writing to his young son. So it, it's really all in his head. There are no chapter divisions whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's, it's this long letter. Um, Wendell Berry is not that. Um, and while it is a literary novel and, um, it's, it's not heavy on plot. This one does definitely have a plot. Like, we can name the climax of the story right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a book that is as cerebral. It's a book because it is more, I think, I think it's because it is more focused on the place. And it's centered in that particular spot and those particular people. Everybody in it is important. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that one tiny little person yeah. or family. yeah. Yeah, so it's not as internal. It's not a, a. It does 
have more of an active component to it. Uh, but that said, in terms of a commonality, they're both incredibly faith-filled, spiritual books. Um, really, Jaber Crow more kind of as it moves. We, we talked about that before a little bit, just how the yeah. deeper you get into it, the more you start to see spiritual overtones in, in Jaber and, and his struggle. And he just says some incredibly profound and beautiful things. Early in the book, there's a part where he, he's talking about the, the people he's been around and he talks about it. He says they, they think the spirit is all softness and light and goodness and the body is all awful and evil. And how can that be? And that, that really, I was like, okay, stick a pen in that one. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> well, Gilead and Jaber Crow are both told in the voice of old men looking back over their lives. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that similarity, but the way that they look over their lives and the particular points that they fix on are quite different. Well, and Barry is very much known as a naturalist, as an agrarian, uh, and and it comes through. Jaber Crow was, came out about 2000, and we follow Jaber up. He, Jaber's born in the 20s. Much of the book takes place in the 40s, even into the 50s Dwells and the 60s. Well, on the Vietnam War at great length. Yeah, yeah, great discussion of that. Uh, but I think he leaves off kind of in the 80s or the 90s. Um, for Jaber. But you get this sense that land is definitive here. The way that, that people interact with the land, the way that they care for the land or waste the land, the way that they care for their animals or they treat their animals as just another thing to be owned and bought and sold. It's very important in this story. And you come across an idea... Barry doesn't come across as anti-technology. He comes across as a man who recognizes that there are things that are improvements that are for the better. And there are things that are alleged improvements that really just enable us to beat our head against the wall faster. And he hates the second and he's fine with the first. Well, he also connects the land and the way we care for it with the community that we are in and the way we take care of the people within it. And the idea here is again, like you said, not anti-technology, But the idea, the message that you kind of take away for today is if we will put down our phones and look at the people around us, it's the same kind of idea. Not that we can't have the phones, not that they're not, and the technology, they're not useful, but that we have to make sure we see the people. Well, the people are what it comes back to. It's really, it's about the land heavily, but the dignity and Jaber Crow and the way that he interacts with his people and the way that Wendell Berry writes them. I mean, if we're going to talk about Kentucky, you can't avoid dancing around Hillbilly Elegy, the, the J.D. Vance book, which mm-hmm. is just incredibly, you know, lightning rod for controversy. I, I kind of missed much of the controversy, <laughs> I have to admit. It just kind of bounced off me. But one thing I will say is that Barry, Barry has a sublime ability to write even funny things about characters. You can laugh at with his characters without laughing at them. You will, you will not look down your nose at them the way that it seems like Vance uh, struggled with and some people really felt like he engaged in it uh, you know, constantly. Uh, it's, it's a hard thing as a writer to know everyone and everything <laughs> and yet still be able to order it in a way to say, even in its failings and in its weakness, this is human and this is beautiful. Well, and I think that's part of Barry's genius. You and I both picked up this book and said, this is me. 
and these are all the people that I knew. Yes. And I love them. Yeah, yeah. And and you get the feeling of being on the precipice of a world that could go a couple of different ways, and it could turn away from a lot that's been good and a lot that's been beautiful if it's not pretty daggum careful. And you get the sensation that each person gets to choose that. We mm-hmm. can decide which world we want to live in. We can choose our paths still, even today. But as for Wendell Berry, I've seen him for years. I've done the, uh, the Kentucky Book Fair. Used to be in Frankfurt. Now it's in Lexington. Uh, and I would see him there. And I told Julie, <laughs> I always would see him kind of across the room. And I thought of the bit in 1776 yeah, where the new congressional delegate comes over to Ben Franklin. And Franklin kind of sits up and says, what's the matter? Haven't you seen a great man before? <laughs> it was always like that. When, that. There's a great man. But but if I see him there next year, if he's still able to be there and is there, and if I'm there, I'm probably going to go up and give him a hug whether he wants one or not, <laughs> but because this, this book is a treasure. Yes, and he always, at these book fairs, he's always talking and he's laughing. He's He always has a crowd around him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great Kentuckian. And the only thing I can say is coming out of this, I've got to dive into more. I, I'm sorry that I missed this this long, but I'm going to fix it. Dad, Hannah Coulter is where I want to go next. But I've said that before. I think that's where we've got to find after that. So Andy... <laughs> We would say read it. Yeah, but but thanks for making <laughs> us think about it in a way that probably we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, we appreciate everybody. Rena reached out to us last mm-hmm. week. Good to yep. hear from her. Uh, any of you folks, uh, we love to uh, hear from you. There have been you. lots of you. You know, yeah. It, it, it's uh, Thanks so much. Paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com if you want to email us. We're on... What are we on? We're on something. <laughs> we were supposed to have this together by yeah, this week. Yeah. We're on Instagram at Paperback Readers Pod. We're on Twitter somewhere. I, <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's Peaback Readers Pod. I think I couldn't use the full name. Kind of like Tyler Zach with his Gospel for Graham. I think it's Peaback Readers Pod. Well, you can tell how well we are keeping up with the social media accounts. So... Well, just holler at us when you when you see us in any form or fashion. We're glad to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep reading. Mm-hmm.